Hello and welcome back to episode 28 of the We Talk Ball podcast. I am DJ Cadden and I am once again, for the first time in God knows how many episodes, joined by my former roommate and one of my good friends, Mason McKay. So Mason, how are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. I'm glad to be back. It took a little bit of a hiatus. Had to figure out some life stuff, but hopefully back for a good amount of time at least. Yeah, so Mason should be back for at least the foreseeable future. Uh, he's starting his job as a realtor coming up soon. Just finished realty school, so it won't be his main focus, but he is going to try to make time for the podcast, and obviously I will be here every episode. But, yeah, so obviously Mason knows his football. He was, you know, the co-host for all the football episodes when we first started the podcast. Um, and if you know Mason, you know one quarterback he's really high on is Bo Nix. And Bo Nix happens to be playing in a big game this week as Oregon, I think, hosts or travels to Washington in what is hosting college game day. So as we look at this game, arguably the biggest game of the week, probably undoubtedly the biggest game of the week, what are your just preliminary thoughts about both of these teams? And do you have a lean one way or another right now? Honestly, it's a toss-up to me. Usually in games like this, I feel like the home team wins. I want to say you can't really look at one team and say, oh, they've been more dominant than the other. Oregon had a struggle game against Texas Tech a while back. Washington just had a struggle game against Arizona at times. Both teams have looked like the best team in the country. And I just think that really in a game like this, it's a toss-up. You could give it to the home team. I think that's why the spread is only three in favor of Washington. I think Vegas is probably thinking the same thing we are. Yeah, I think it's a pretty evenly matched up game. Um, obviously, two Heisman contenders at quarterback in Bo Nix and Michael Penix, which we're, we're going to talk about, you know, Pac-12 QB play, you know, a little bit later just because it's so, such a deep conference. But I think it's a very evenly matched game. If I did have to give an edge to somebody, I think it would be Oregon just because obviously you know what both offenses are going to do. I think Oregon's defense is considerably better than Washington. They're number six in total defense in the country right now. Um, So they've been pretty stout outside of that Texas Tech game where they gave up 30 points, which really, I mean, outside of Colorado is the only, you know, offense with a pulse that they've played this year. And obviously Colorado was missing their best player, but still they, I mean, they clearly dominated that team and were the better team on the field. But if I didn't have to, to give an edge, it would be to Oregon just because of their defense. But I think Michael Penix is arguably the best quarterback in America and has the talent and the weapons to expose this defense. And like you said, I think, you know, the, the spread of minus three, I think that's just because Washington's the home team. Uh, it's going to be an electric environment, which it, it feels like Vegas tends to lean towards the home team in a small spread like this in games like this. But that's not the only big game going on in the Pac-12, which surprisingly might be the deepest conference in college football right now. Um, Oregon State and UCLA is another ranked matchup this weekend and and probably would get game day if it wasn't for Oregon-Washington. So I know you said you had some stats listed, some other notes. I'll ask you again, what are your thoughts on this game as we head into it? I know there's, you know, some new names on both sides that, you know, some casual fans might not be aware of, but – just what are your thoughts going into the weekend? My thoughts going into the Oregon State-UCLA game is really 
I think that it's two teams that with dynamic quarterbacks. They've shown this year that they can be dynamic. Dante Moore, obviously, a human highlight reel. DJ Miangale is a little bit different kind of a player. He's at least this year he's been playing consistent. He's been playing smart with the football, and he just all around looks like a better quarterback than he's ever looked like since probably his freshman year at Clemson. He doesn't really have the quick burst, like brushing threat that Dante Moore has or anything like that, but he does have the big bowling ball type of frame that could be really good in short yardage situations. I think the difference in this game really is the rushing attack. I think that if Oregon State can stop Dante Moore and if UCLA can stop DJ Miangale, I think that Oregon State rushing attack with two guys averaging well over five yards per carry. I think that they, I think that that's the turning point in the game, and I think that that would give Oregon State the edge. Yeah, I think we talked about the electric offenses in the Oregon Washington game. I think this is going to be the complete opposite of that game. Obviously, both offenses are very capable of putting up points. Dante Moore is just he, he's a star in the making. Only I think six games into his college career, and he is already living up to his five star talent outside of that Utah game, and then DJU having kind of a career revival in, in in Oregon State. It's just the offenses are capable, but both of these defenses are ranked top 30 in total defense. Um, UCLA has probably the best defense they've ever had under Chip Kelly. Um, and Oregon State always has a strong defense under Jonathan Smith. So I think the total set at 54 and a half. I think the, the total for the Oregon-Washington game is in the 70s. Uh, so just two opposite games, and it, it would not surprise me if we have another – kind of similar to that UCLA Utah game another 14 to 7 or 20 to 14 kind of slugfest type of game uh in this one for sure for sure i think that this matchup obviously has two good dynamic quarterbacks but obviously it's a big step down from what we're seeing in Oregon Washington with two Heisman contenders yeah and then just kind of staying on the topic of the Big 12 um I'll just say I think it's the deepest conference in college football, both team-wise and uh, quarterback-wise. I mean, they have three legitimate Heisman candidates and Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., and Bo Nix, both of, are all of all of whom are inside the top five and, and most odds lists. And then you have other guys like Cam Ward, DJU, Dante Moore, Cam Rising, Jaden Delara, who have all been unreal. <laughs> yeah, Mason Flash in the watch. <laughs> While we're on the watch topic, what are your thoughts on Shador Sanders' first instinct after beating, I think, a one in five Arizona State team now, go, being to go over to the student section and flash his signature celebrations? I like it. I mean, I like a guy that gets into a situation like that and really shows his passion. I did see a clip of him yanking out an Arizona State player's mouthpiece. I didn't exactly <laughs> like that. But, you know, Oregon State fans can get a little rowdy. They're known as a frat school, a party school, and they were probably chirping him all game. Overrated chance probably were raining down on the sideline. So I really don't blame the guy. The watch thing, I understand. I understand that completely, especially in a very close game like that. Emotions are running high. But yanking a mouthpiece out of an opposing player's mouth is not only disgusting, but it's just honestly kind of weird behavior to me. Yeah, I saw a lot of varying takes on both of those actions from Saturday. 
But while we're on the topic, three Heisman three Heisman candidates, three you know perennial playoff contenders. What are your thoughts on what we've seen and what's going to be the last season of the Pac-12 as we know it? I think they're putting on one hell of a last ride. I mean, I don't think anybody expected the Pac-12 to be this good, much less this deep after week one and after a little bit of week two, maybe all of week two, I can't exactly remember, but I don't think the Pac-12 had a loss. And you have teams like Colorado coming out of the woodwork. Obviously, Deion Sanders has a big part in that. You have teams like Washington State outplaying what they were projected to do. UCLA is a lot better than anybody expected. Obviously, you have the guys like USC, Oregon, Washington. They're doing exactly what people expected them to do. But I think the people like Oregon State, Washington State, they are the ones that are really contributing to how deep this conference is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable. We knew the top three teams. Um, I think everybody knew Oregon, USC, you know, perennial playoff contenders, more so Oregon, just because they have a complete team as as – USC can't stop anybody, but Washington, I think has been, we all knew they were going to be good. They had Michael Penix, who was, who had a huge breakout last year, um, have probably the best wide receiver room in college football, probably second best if you're counting Ohio state. Um, But yeah, the Oregon state, the DJU revival has been one of the biggest storylines. Colorado feels like they're the biggest storyline every week in college football. Um. UCLA, we knew they were getting better, but nobody expected them to be a ranked team. Washington State going into Wisconsin, taking them down. So it just feels like it, we're going to be watching. It feels like we're going to be watching a 30 for 30 in, you know, five years, six years on the Pac-12 and, you know, how the last season kind of went down and how these teams went out swinging. Um, yeah, but I've been thoroughly impressed with everybody in this conference except Stanford, even, you know, like, Arizona State has put up fights. They're a scrappy team. They're down at quarterback right now. California is not that bad of a team. Really, everybody outside of Stanford has, you know, impressed at least to some extent, and it's really sad that we're going to, you know, see it go uh, after this year. But while we're on the topic of the Pac-12, again, let's talk about USC. They also have a big game this week. Uh, Notre Dame. I, I don't remember if it's at Notre Dame or, or at USC, but Notre Dame come off a loss to Louisville, which Louisville, I do want to talk about later, might be one of my best bets, probably one of Mason's best bets, except I think we're going different ways. Um, but USC, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, I was super high on coming into the year. I thought they had playoff uh, chances. Obviously, two losses already, uh, barring a miracle. Those chances are completely shot. USC is still very much in the playoff race, undefeated, uh, top 10 in the country, top 11 in the country. Um, I think Notre Dame should win this game. Obviously, USC is going to score their points, but USC cannot stop anyone. There's only five power five teams worse than them in total defense, and they're giving up scores on 94% of their red zone uh, possessions. Notre Dame has a veteran quarterback in Sam Hartman, has a couple other playmakers that are dangerous. I think Notre Dame should win this game. I'll probably pick them to cover the spread. But Mason, what are what are your what's your initial lean here as we head into another big big time ranked matchup in the Pac-12? So, I think I'm going to go in a little bit of a di- different direction than you. I think USC still has playoff aspirations. I think that Notre Dame obviously doesn't anymore. 
They still have a couple of tough games on that schedule for sure. And I just, I think that their confidence is, if not shot, it's pretty much all out the window at this point. They, as an independent, they don't have a conference championship game. They don't have any hope of getting that signature win at the end of the year to push a two-loss team into the playoff. But it's sad because Notre Dame's one play away against Ohio State from going into the Louisville game undefeated, and maybe that turns a different – maybe that turns that game into a different outcome. But Louisville pretty much dominated that game from the second half on, so you never really know. I don't – Notre Dame is a little weird to me because they have a dynamic quarterback in Sam Hartman. They have Audric Estime, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's a beast. Sam Hartman's a beast. I just – the team doesn't look that dynamic when they play good teams. Like when they play – when they play Central Michigan, they put up 41. When they put up – when they play NC State, they put up 45. When they play Navy, they put up 42. But those aren't the teams that you need to put up 40 points against. The teams that you need to put up 40 points against are the Ohio States, the Louisvilles, the Dukes. And while they they squeaked out a win against Duke, it wasn't exactly impressive. That game's one play from going the other way as well. Ohio State, they only put up 14 points. I expected a little bit more from that offense, even though Ohio State has a pretty stout defense. I think that – while Louisville is strong offensively, Notre Dame's defense is good enough to stop them, but I don't think Notre Dame did enough offensively to give their defense any rest, and I think it really weared down on them in the second half. I just don't know if they can keep up with this USC offense, and that's what I'm trying to get at here. Is Yeah, USC might not have a defense, but can Notre Dame put up that many points? Because we know USC is going to get points with Caleb Williams. We know that. They'll probably put up 40 points no matter what. So it's just really if Notre Dame can outscore them. I like the over in this game. I'm not even sure what it is, but whatever it is, I'm probably liking that. And honestly, I think I'm going to take USC in this game. Yeah, total set at 63. I feel like USC and LSU are kind of in the same boat for me. I'm taking the over no matter who they're playing. I mean, they can't (laughs) stop anybody. LSU missed 40 tackles a couple weeks ago, which is just unheard of. And – yeah, I think that's it, it, it's kind of weird Sam Hartman not playing well in these big games. Had three interceptions, I think, against it was either Ohio State or or Louisville. Um, when he kind of stepped up in those big moments, you know, even as an inferior team at Wake Forest, you know, six touchdowns against Clemson a year ago, four touchdowns against Florida State and North Carolina a year ago. We're so accustomed to him stepping up, even without the weapons like Chris Tyree and and, and Estime that he has in Notre Dame. It's just weird. It's a game I can see go either way. It's at Notre Dame. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites. So, again, feels like Vegas is just favoring the home team here, which makes sense. But, yeah, I think this is – I don't know. It's a weird game to predict, a weird game to look at. It wouldn't surprise me if USC goes in there and blows them out by, you know, 20 or 30 points. And it wouldn't surprise me if if Notre Dame went in there and and won a shootout just because USC can't stop anybody. But I think that's the game uh, outside of Oregon Washington that I'm looking forward to the most uh, this offseason or this this week. Um, and at, while we're talking about USC, one of the top teams in the country, one of those team few teams that still has playoff aspirations. That that leads us into our next topic: the best teams in the country. They're certainly in that conversation. So is Oregon. So is Washington. 
what other teams in, in your mind have really cemented themselves in that argument? And if you had to make, I want to ask you that question yet. Just what other teams have submitted themselves in, in that top team debate for you? So for me, I think that obviously Oregon and Washington, I think whoever wins this game this weekend is probably in the driver's seat for the Pac-12. I think that both teams could be title contenders, and I really think that either one winning is really going to vault them to the top, maybe even like a top four ranking after this week especially if it's a big win. I think that there are a couple teams in the top 10 that have signature wins already. Like you look at Oklahoma who just got their signature win against Texas, but I don't know if I'm ready to give a team like Oklahoma a title contender. You know, obviously I'm not ready to label them as a title contender yet. I just think that that win against Texas, I don't want to say it was fluky, but I think Texas played poorly and made a lot of mistakes, and Oklahoma still barely squeaked out with a win. And I just don't – I I think that if they played again, Texas would probably win. Obviously, you have to give Oklahoma the benefit of the doubt. They did win that game no matter what. So, obviously, right now you have to have them ahead. But I'm not sure if I'm ready to give them that contender label just yet. Yeah. Well, when I talk – when I think of the best teams in the country, obviously I think you have to have George up there, which before – of course. This week before this weekend, you know, it's kind of you know iffy if they were the top team in the country. It was more so just off resume, and they they had struggled against some inferior opponents. And then I I, I know I was high on them. I think you were too this weekend. They just come out, and I mean, they just destroy Kentucky. I mean, I expected it, but man, that got ugly, and it got ugly fast. Carson Beck played his bet the best game of his college career by a, a very best game of his football career, probably. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> By a very wide margin, and uh, but in my eyes, I think the best team in college football right now is Michigan. I think they have the most complete team. They have the most experience on both sides of the ball. They have so much continuity on both offense and and not as much on defense, but especially on offense. You got JJ McCarthy at quarterback, who I I feel like is really elevating himself to a different level outside of that Bowling Green game. But like I told, like I said with Grayson on the podcast. Um, I think two or three weeks ago, it felt like every team had one of those games against very inferior opponents more times, FCS or or bad FBS. Uh, they just had those games where they didn't play good. Georgia's had them. Uh, Texas had one. Michigan's had one. Clemson's had a couple. It feels like every team has had them. So I'm not reading that much into the uh the three interceptions against Bowling Green. They still ended up winning that game big time. But he's third in the country in completion percentage. I know Bo Nix is one of those ahead of him. He's sixth in yards per attempt. So really, you know, elevating himself, I think he's going to get NFL draft looks this year. I uh, don't know how high he's going to go, but I think he is going to get drafted relatively early, you know, first day or two. Um, and then the defense, man. I mean, we know what Michigan's defense is going to be every year, but it is unreal this year. They're third in total defense, second in passing yards allowed, 12th in rushing yards. And the stat that stood out the most to me is no team has run a play inside their 10-yard line. No team has had a first and goal or a goal-to-go situation against the Wolverines all season, which is just unbelievable, especially when you have played some conference opponents. Just a stat that I, I, most teams won't ever be able to you know, claim. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm picking this Michigan team as the top team in the country right now, just because 
they have been so dominant and they have so much experience. I feel like it'll win out once they get, you know, to a playoff type environment. <clears throat> I could I could totally see that. I, I don't think anybody would really argue with Georgia or Michigan. I think that Ohio State probably has the best win out of those three, being Notre Dame, but I don't think they've looked convincing in a lot of other games. Obviously they had a huge win against Maryland this weekend. I know a lot of people, including myself, were expecting a little bit of a closer game. Maryland kept it close, but Ohio State really pulled away. Kyle McCord played his best game of the year so far. But I definitely think that they're firmly behind Michigan and Georgia right now. Obviously, they're looking to finally beat Michigan in the last couple of years. They've Michigan's had their number, which is weird to say if you think back to a couple of years ago. But – Another team that I want to hit on is Florida State. Florida State had, if you just look at teams they've played and teams they've beat, and you don't look at the score, they I think they have the best resume in the country. They have a win against LSU. LSU is not as good as people may have expected. They already have two losses, but I don't really think you can count that against them. They lost a shootout to Ole Miss, and they lost to a top-five team in the country. They d- dismantled LSU that game. Then they've had a couple close games. They had a close game against Boston College, and then they went into Clemson and in a game where a lot of people thought that Clemson outplayed Florida State, including myself. I was at that game. Very hard to watch as a Clemson fan, but <laughs> I think that I think that 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 win really helps them. I think it's a lot more impressive than people think to go into Clemson and win, especially with Clemson's defense playing the way it did. But then they come out. And they're in the third quarter, and it's 22-17 against Virginia Tech, who's not a great Power 5 team at all. They, you know, sprinted out to a 22-0 lead in the first quarter, and then all of a sudden in the third quarter they found themselves only up five. And I feel like Florida State is a team that just consistently can turn it on or turn it off. And I really wish that they could just turn it on permanently because if they did I really think they'd be contender for the number one team in the country right now especially with that resume yeah I definitely agree and you, you know what it kind of feels like to me all these it, obviously they have the big win over LSU but you remember in 2014 they were coming off a national championship and in every obviously not coming off a national championship uh, last year but every single game they played that year felt like it was within one possession I think they had two or three games that they won by more than one possession, including a game against the Citadel, which they only won by a few possessions. I told – I said this on the, the last podcast, it, after the Clemson game and after the Boston College game, it felt like I was more in on Florida State because of those close games because you're going to have to win those type of games, especially against a Clemson in a hostile environment. So, you know, if, if you do have national championship aspirations um, – but if it becomes a theme, it, it it could eventually be a problem. It feels like if it just keeps, you know, going like this, at some point somebody's going to pick them off. I don't know who that'll be or if it'll be anybody, but it does feel like that's going to happen if it continues. But, yeah, I do think it, their resume is probably number one or number two in the country. I don't think anybody can really argue that. Um, A ton of NFL guys on their roster, so the talent is definitely there. And – while we're talking about NFL talent, let's go ahead and move on to our NFL discussions. Um, obviously, the biggest game of the weekend was Cowboys-Niners. Um, 
two or not two undefeated teams. Cowboys were three and one. Niners were four and zero, oh, and the Niners just absolutely dismantled the Cowboys. I mean, I think Dak had three interceptions. Um, I needed him to get about sixty points for my fantasy team to win. Didn't have been through about three interceptions. Uh, the Niners put up forty two points. Uh, a lot of that thanks to short fields, but their offense is just unbelievable. So I, I'm just going to ask you: Are the 49ers the best team in, in the NFL right now? I think it's hard to argue against it. I mean, the only other undefeated team is the Eagles. And I think when you look at the two teams, the Eagles have had some struggle games this year. 49ers really haven't. The 49ers have looked pretty dominant over everybody they've played. People were wondering how Purdy was going to play against this top Cowboys defense, who's been, you know, one of the best turnover teams in the league this year and one of the best at scoring touchdowns on defense this year. That's really threatening with Micah Parsons coming off the edge. But I just – I think that Purdy really responded and Purdy showed why I think he's now probably a top seven quarterback in the league for me. I think that he just has that it factor. He showed it on Sunday against a really good Cowboys defense. He didn't really flinch at all. And I think that the 49ers with that quarterback that – for five years now, everybody's been saying, oh, if they get him, if they get a quarterback, watch out for them. Well, they have one now. So I think the NFL has been put on notice, and I think the 49ers are easily the best team in the league right now, at least on paper. Yeah, I mean, on paper, I, I don't think there's a team that comes close. Uh, obviously, Brock Purdy not doesn't have the name value at quarterback. But, I mean, he's been playing unreal football. He had, he had four touchdowns on Sunday night and, and seven incompletions. So, obviously, has been amazing at quarterback. They have Christian McCaffrey, probably the best running back in football, um, especially as a receiving threat. George Kittle is the top three or four tight end in football. Brandon Ayuk is is really emerging as what feels like one of the best route runners in the sport right now. Debo Samuel is, you know, the, the do-it-all type of guy. Just unreal. I mean, they even have the best fullback in football in Kyle Juicy Juice. Uh, and Trent Williams at left tackle, Nick Bosa on the defense. It's just unbelievable what this team has to work with, and it just doesn't feel like anybody's going to stop them. I mean, you look at their schedule. They have the Browns this weekend, where there's no guarantee Deshaun Watson's playing. The Vikings, who have, what, one win? One win so far. Then they play the Jags. Then the Buccaneers, the Seahawks. Then a big-time matchup against the Eagles. And then it really feels like it gets a lot easier coming down the stretch. I feel like there's a realistic chance this team wins 14 or 15 games and cements themselves as the one seed. And as of right now, I think they have to be the favorite to win the Super Bowl. And I don't think you can really argue it. As of right now, I don't – honestly, if you – obviously, things change as the year goes on, injuries happen, stuff like that, but – I don't know if in the past couple of years, if we've seen a team that has the potential to go 17 and 0 like the Niners could this year. I think that they're just so dominant on both sides of the ball. As long as both of them are clicking at the right time, nobody's going to stop them. So it's really just about being consistent for Brock Purdy in this offense. Yeah. I mean, obviously not. They're a top three, top three offense in terms of yards per game. The number three in yards per game and number three in yards per game allowed. So just you're not going to beat a team that is going to move the ball up and down on you. 
and not let you move the ball at all. So just an unreal team. Um, another matchup that I was intrigued by this weekend was Eagles Rams. Uh, the Rams obviously have had some pleasant surprises. Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams. Um, but the Eagles are are coming off a Super Bowl uh, appearance. They're also undefeated. Them and the Niners are the they're the only two undefeated teams remaining, I think. And the Eagles, obviously, probably wasn't Jalen Hurts' best game. He still threw for over 300 yards. But, man, just like the Niners, it feel, feels like they have talent everywhere. DeAndre Swift emerging as a true, you know, workhorse running back. Had 15 or 17 carries on, on Sunday. A.J. Brown at, at wide receiver is one of the best in the league. Devontae Smith is a great number two. Dallas Goddard at, at tight end at loaded defense so i know we're saying offensive line in the nfl probably yeah i mean jalen carter is is in depoy conversations on twitter as a rookie which is unheard of it's just it it feels like those two teams the niners and and the eagles are just a class above the rest of the nfl right now i know we want to talk about miami and buffalo and, and the chiefs but it feels like if you just look at on paper those two teams are the best in the league, and I I don't think there's really much of a debate, at least in my mind. I I agree with you. I think that the addition of Jalen Carter, the emergence of Jordan Davis as a sophomore, he's been amazing this year. I know the big knock on him was that he didn't really have any stamina, and he was one of those guys that's going to have to be a rotational guy, but. I mean, when you have a D line as stacked as the Eagles do, you don't you don't need to have him on the field every play. So, I just think that the Eagles are going to be hard to stop, and I definitely think that if you get them to fourth and one, I don't think you are stopping them with that tush push. So, <laughs> yeah, and while we're on the subject of the tush push, <laughs> people who want to ban the tush push are the most annoying people in the sport of football, and that's all I have to say. And the people who call it the brotherly shove are even more annoying. So, (laughs) Also, a strategy I saw on Twitter is if they're running it at the one-yard line, just run your entire 53-man roster out there and take half the distance to the goal penalties till they just go out of that formation. But, yeah, I I think those are the two best teams in football, you know, talent-wise and probably, you know, product-wise as well. Um but I, I don't think I really had any other games specifically uh, on the docket. It feels like there was a lot of, you know, middling games that weren't really super, super interesting. The Jags did beat the Bill, our Bills, unfortunately. Um, just a, a, a weak performance from the Bills. It just didn't feel super good as a Bills fan. Uh, we obviously had lost Tredavious White. For the year, we lose Matt Milano for the year. It felt like things were finally, you know, starting to to go our way uh, in terms of having it all put together with a running back that can really change the game this year, which felt like the missing piece. And then it all comes crashing down in London. Um, just what do you make of, of what the Bills have done this year and what they have going forward, especially with those two key contributors out on defense? I don't know. It's The Bills are such a hard team to gauge because they have that offensive firepower for sure. 
But then you watch games like they played against the Jags, and you just don't see it until, like, the very end of the half or the very end of the game. You just don't see that firepower. And with the Bills, what looks like key defensive players dropping like flies, I just which seems to be a theme for the Bills the last couple of years, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> I think that they're going to need to outscore a lot of opponents that can score, and I'm just not sure if they're going to be able to do that consistently, which is crazy because – you know, the three weeks after the Jets game, they look like the best offense in the NFL. But the Jags game, they just really looked flat out there, and I don't really understand why they look so flat. Yeah, it's it's, it's frustrating. It felt like we finally had things going our way. Everybody was healthy. We finally got Von Miller back. Um, James Cook is the running back we've been waiting for for what has felt like forever going through the Devin Singletary stages and – Zach Moss getting some starts. It was just we finally had a running back that felt like he could change the game and put us over the top, and it comes tumbling down. Um, One team that I've been surprised with just looking through the schedule uh, so far is the Detroit Lions. Sitting at 4-1, I think we all knew they were destined for a breakout, but then they come out week one, take down the Chiefs, uh, lost to the Seahawks in overtime and then have not lost a game since, given they have played two weak opponents during that that stretch. Um, but they're 4-1, have a commanding lead in the NFC North. Uh, before we move on to our best bet segment, what do you make of the Lions' start and kind of what, – what, I, I don't think they have any realistic Super Bowl chances, but what do you think their future looks like, especially if they you know – win double-digit game this year, and then make the playoffs? I think that they have a pretty bright future. I mean, obviously, the Super Bowl will be such a tough ask with the NFC as loaded as it is. But, I mean, you have guys like Amon Ra that are young. You have Jared Goff, who's a veteran quarterback, who really seems to take that role very well of veteranship among that team. Jameer Gibbs, obviously not what fantasy owners hope for this year, but a very good piece nonetheless eventually to be used more, most likely. You have guys like Jameson Williams, the emergence of Josh Reynolds, Sam Laporta. I just think that that offense is really, really underrated, and I think that in the they're set up for the future, unlike a lot of teams in the league right now. Yeah, I agree, and they have one of my favorite head coaches in the league, and Dan Campbell. He brings an energy that I feel a lot of head coaches are lacking. Um. But I think that's all the NFL we had to discuss, uh, unless you had any, you know, parting words before we kind of segue into our best bet segment. I did have one parting word. I did want to talk about Bijan Robinson a little. Everybody saw the play that he made. He makes plays like that routinely every week. But I wanted to get your thoughts on do you think that he is already – a top running back in the NFL? Because me personally, I think he's the second run, best running back in the NFL right now behind Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at, at not only what he's on the field, you look at the counting stats, it, it, it feels like Bijan has cemented himself as one of the best running backs in the league. I, I, he does everything. It feels like CMC does. He's a great receiving back. Um, it, he turns you know negative runs and, and touchdowns in some cases. That run – I think it was week one. I forgot who they played, but just got hit by two defenders in the backfield, splits the tackle, and, and 
brings it in for a touchdown. Just shows you what he can do. Then he has a behind-the-back, one-handed catch last week. Just CMC, I feel like, has to be above him. But other than that, I think you can make the argument that he is more talented than any other back in the league. Obviously, there's going to be people that say Jonathan Taylor and, and Derrick Henry, even, you know, guys that say Austin Eckler and Saquon Barkley. But even through what it is, five weeks, six weeks, it feels like B. John Robinson is pretty clearly, you know, one of the top two or three running backs in football, at least in my opinion. And I, I know you agree. I completely agree with that. I think, like, statistically, it may not be the case yet, but I definitely think skill set wise, Bijan's at least number three. I think the only two guys you put ahead of him are CMC and Saquon. Saquon has a very good skill set, but he just can't really stay healthy. Um, Derek Henry, I don't really think he has the skill set that compares to Bijan's. He's obviously one of the best running backs in the past 10 years, but I just don't think he has a skill set. Nick Chubb, which we sadly saw go down for the season with an injury, I think that he doesn't necessarily have the same skill set as Bijan, although he is a very, very, very good running back. And, yeah, guys like Austin Eckler, I just put in a tier below him. And I just I just think that he's going to be one of the best running backs in the NFL for years to come, if not number one, very, very shortly. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of big-time running backs, a big-time trade just went down in our fantasy league. Uh, Kenneth Walker getting traded for Devontae Adams. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's one of the most talented backs in the leagues. In the league, so it, it it's definitely a conversation to be had. Um, as we move, I, I think that kind of completes our NFL segment. What the it, hell? <laughs> Let's continue that conversation after we finish our best bets segment. But yeah, that, that completes our NFL talk. Moving into best bets, it's gonna it, most weeks. It's gonna include lines from different sports. I have some from college football, NFL. I think Mason stuck to college football this week. But I'll let you go ahead and start. Are there any lines that you, you looked at or totals that you looked at that were intriguing to you that you you know were if you bet on it or if you had to bet on it, you were iffy about it before we kind of get into the ones that we're, we're, we're confident in. So the most iffy bet for me is, well, I have a couple iffy bets, but the, the most iffy bet for me is Duke by three and a half. They are at home against a very weak NC state team, but the health of Riley Leonard is a question, and whenever the health of a dynamic starting quarterback like Riley Leonard is a question, you usually shouldn't bet with them. It is only three and a half points, so it's almost just a straight-up win, but it's not. I don't know if I trust it without Riley Leonard. If Riley Leonard plays, though, I would smash that Duke cover. Yeah, that's a game I like where Riley Leonard is obviously the the deciding factor. Um I have, I think, five lines that I've looked at that interest me that I'm probably not going to, you know, I, I wouldn't probably bet on. One, I have two overs, Oregon and Washington, just kind of banking on their offenses to ball out. Wouldn't surprise me if that missed, but I think those offenses are, are elite and going to put up points. The other one is LSU-Auburn. Just feels like the over is going to hit. Every time LSU plays a football game, they play a mobile <laughs> quarterback. 
uh, two weeks ago in Ole Miss, and it was over, over, I think, almost 100 points combined. So just they're playing another one this week in Robbie Ashford and Peyton Thorne. Sophia's like, in my opinion, that is almost certain it's going over because they can't stop anybody. Uh, I have another one for tomorrow, uh, Wednesday. We're recording, recording this Tuesday night, a line for Wednesday night. Sam Houston plus three and a half. They're 0-5 right now, but they almost got a win last week against a Liberty team that I'm not super high on. Um, they don't Liberty doesn't really have an impressive win. Um, and Sam Houston State almost took them down. They're they have to get their first FBS win at some point. I feel like it's gonna be tomorrow. Uh, I think they host New Mexico State. Maybe they might travel there, but they play New Mexico State. Another one I like is Maryland minus 14. I know me and Mason both liked Maryland uh plus 20 and I think it was 20 and a half. Uh, last weekend against Ohio State, which they ended up barely covering. Uh, we also, you know, talked about Maryland money line, but this is also just a fade on Illinois. Illinois is absolutely horrible. Maryland has an elite quarterback. Uh, Illinois got torn up by Nebraska's backup. Um, so this is just fading Illinois and riding the high that is Maryland football. And then the last one I have, which I know is going to contradict one of Mason's best bets, I have Pittsburgh plus seven and a half. I saw it at plus eight and a half uh, yesterday, but plus seven and a half right now um, playing Louisville. Feels like a trap game for Louisville almost. Had Took down Notre, Notre Dame this past weekend. I think they played Duke next weekend. So it just feels like a spot where they, they could be looking ahead. They even have some tough games after that. Feels like a spot they could be looking ahead. Um, I don't like Pittsburgh to win outright, but feels like they could make it a close game and – the seven and a half makes me feel like they could keep it within at least a touchdown. But we can move on to best bets. I have four. I think Mason. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I do want to hit one more. One more. Go ahead. If you want. This is not college football related. I was thinking about this a little bit before, but I wasn't sure if I was going to include it. I am going to go ahead and throw an MLB playoff line out there that I really like. I like the Braves money line tomorrow, Wednesday. I think series tied at one. The Braves, huge confidence booster getting that late win against the Phillies in game two. I think the Braves money line at plus 102, some value. Obviously one of the best hitting lineups in baseball, if not the best. I think the Phillies are hot right now, but I think the Braves can get hot at any time. And I think that maybe that last game sparked them. And I like those odds at plus money for the Braves money line, especially with a team with 104 wins. Yeah, I'm just going to stay away from my team. I'm, I would never bet on my team. Um, although Georgia Southern, James Madison over this weekend. I'm just saying. I'll, I'll be at that game. Not going to bet on it. but And that's, that's a game that has, you know, potential New Year's Six Bowl implications. Yes. With James winners. Madison so, yes. being undefeated yes. and Georgia Southern with only one loss to a Power 5 program. I mean, either of those teams could be in the New Year's Six Bowl conversation at the end of the year. Obviously, you got some good ones like Air Force and JMU, but I just that that's a huge game for New Year's Six Bowl group of five teams. Yeah, I agree. And we can go ahead and move into best bets. We can do them one by one, or we can do them uh, all in one group. I'll let you go ahead and start. You can either name your first one, or you can just name all three or four that you have on your notes. So I'll just go one by one, but. I have my my first best bet. This is the one I'm the most confident in. Well, most confident 
I'm not necessarily the most confident that it's hit because it is plus money, but I like the line the most is what I meant by that. So I like Miami. I like the Miami money line here. I have it at 156 plus 156 on FanDuel as we speak. I think that Miami, very embarrassing loss for Mario Cristobal last week, something that he's making a habit of not kneeling when he needs to. However, I think that they are a good team. They've shown that plenty of times this year. That they're a good team. They probably should have won that game. UNC is coming off the best game of their season. I'm sure that they're confident. I think that it all comes crashing down. I think Miami handles business in North Carolina, and I like that plus 156 money line from the Hurricanes. Yeah, I actually have North Carolina minus three and a half in mind. I'm, I'm, I even like it teased up to, you know, five and a half or six and a half. Just feels like Miami, in my opinion, was never – they have the impressive win over Texas A&M. Uh, it just felt like they were never in that next tier of undefeated teams, in my opinion. And North Carolina getting Tez Walker back, I think is going to help them immensely. Has Have Drake May at quarterback. It just feels like their offense is too good to stop, uh, especially for Miami. So I do like North Carolina, and it would surprise me if they even win this game big. So I am going to fade you there and go with the Tar Heels. We'll talk about it next week when we see who's right. But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and jump into my next best bet. Also has to do with the Miami game. <laughs> I have the Miami total score. So this is just for Miami, not the game over under. But I have the Miami total score at 26 and a half, and I have the over on those points. I think that UNC's defense is not strong. This is a team that gave up a lot of points to App State. This is a this is a defense that I don't think can stop Miami. Miami's offense has looked really good at times this year. I think Tyler Van Dyke goes into Chapel Hill, has a huge game. I think they knock him off, but I definitely think that they pass 27 points regardless. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't listening to you right there. I'm so mad at that trade. But I'll go ahead and go into <laughs> my next uh, best bet. It's a Friday night game, I think. might be Thursday. West Virginia, minus three and a half at Houston, the Dana Holgerson Bowl, uh, playing his alma mater uh, for the first time since going to Houston. Now they're a, pow- a, a Big 12 team. So going to be seeing this West Virginia team a good bit. Uh, Houston has some losses they probably shouldn't have this season. West Virginia has been a pleasant surprise. Four and one, it just feels like they're a much better team than Houston. A lot of these teams that have moved up to the Big 12, like UCF, like uh, BYU ha- have struggled in some of these games. So I'm going to follow that trend and I'm going to take West Virginia minus three and a half against the Houston team. I think is just outmatched in, in this game. Yeah, I can see that. Do you want me to go ahead and jump into yeah. mine? Okay, so I'll go ahead and jump into my next one. And sometimes we like to alternate, sometimes I like to keep it going, whatever. But my last bet, bet, best bet, this is the one I'm the least confident in. And I'm going to stick to college football on my best bets for the most part. But I do like Louisville minus seven and a half against Pittsburgh. Obviously, Louisville coming off a huge win. You look for that potential hangover. I don't think it happens this week against a Pittsburgh team that is just reeling. They don't have a cop, they don't have a starting quarterback right now. There are reports that Phil Dracovich just changed the tight end. Pat Narduzzi came out yesterday and said that he wasn't a tight end. But he's QB2. 
I just don't really think that Pitt has it in him to keep it even within seven and a half points. And seven and a half points is not that many. I just I just don't see Louisville not winning this game by more than two scores. And it would really shock me. And I think the only way that Louisville doesn't cover here is if they have a hangover game like some teams do after they beat a big school. But Louisville is a very good team with a very high-powered offense, and I can't see any way that Pitt keeps it up with a backup quarterback. Yeah, it's a spot for a hangover game, and it's a spot for a look-ahead game for Louisville. They have Duke next week, just took down Notre Dame last week. So an interesting game. Louisville should win that game big. I'm just picking the spot, hoping that they have a hangover and a look-ahead in the same game. Um. I have another one on Saturday, and then my last one is NFL. I'll go ahead and name both of them. I have Texas Tech minus one and a half hosting Kansas State. Kansas State, obviously, winning the, one of the trendy Big 12 picks coming into the year, returning Will Howard, returning a lot of other uh, key contributors, um, have kind of stumbled out of the gates, haven't been super strong. Texas Tech, also one of those trendy picks, stumbling out of the gate. But I've picked it up the past couple games. Uh, Tyler Shuff is out. For the year, I think it potentially, uh, but they've looked like they haven't missed a beat with the backup under center. Um, so I'm just riding with the Red Raiders here. I was high on them coming into the year. Uh, I'm riding with them here. I think Kansas State just isn't as good as people thought we they were going to be. Um, and that's my last college football one. My last one is Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks plus three at the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I know the Bengals took down. Uh, the Cardinals this week and Jamar had a huge game on Mason's fantasy team. Um, but I'm still just not completely, completely sold on the Bengals. Obviously, I picked them to win the Super Bowl preseason, but it, they've struggled. And I'm not taking into. I know the Cardinals have played hard every game this year, but it's still the Cardinals. They're still starting Josh Dobbs at quarterback. They're still not super good across the board. Um, so it feels like a spot where. The Seahawks are going to be able to move the ball. Uh, I, I feel like they're going to be able to score with the Bengals. Even if they don't stop them, I feel like they're going to be able to score with them. So I think they're going to keep it close. Maybe I would like it even more if it was, you know, plus four and a half, plus five and a half. But it, even at plus three, just keep it within a field goal. I like the Seahawks here. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't like the Seahawks in that game. But, I mean – I could see why you would with Joe Burrow not looking as he has all year, but with the last game being a good one from him and in the last game being a good one from Jamar, I just have a hard time at home not taking the Bengals in that game when they're obviously the more talented team in my opinion. I am also just going to go ahead and I was looking at the NFL slate really quick and I want to pick my best one out for the best bets just so I can include one. And I am actually going to go Texans plus one and a half against the Saints at home. Texans at times this year have looked like a juggernaut on offense, as Matt Canada's burner said on Twitter. But <laughs> I don't know if they really are. They they look really good against the Steelers at home last time. I think that they, come, they came off a close away game at the Falcons that could have gone either way. I think they're a lot better team than people give them credit for. And I think Stroud is having – a hell of a rookie season that neither of us saw coming for sure. His test score certainly did not see that coming. But I don't like the Saints all that much. I think their offense is a little eh. 
And I think the Texans are hitting their stride towards the middle of the year. And I really think that they are going to cover that one and a half, or they're going to cover that one and a half point New Orleans favorite. Do you like them? I know the line's one and a half. Do you like them enough to win outright, or would you rather just bet the spread? I'd usually bet them outright in this situation because of the fact that probably it would probably be at least pretty close to plus money, if not plus money. I don't think one point is enough to really scare me, and you're not really betting on regulation unless you're into that stuff. So I would probably take them with the money line. Of course, those are the games where the Texans – or the Saints win by one, and then you're like, oh, well, that wasn't worth it. But that's how Vegas wins their money. So, I mean, I personally would probably bet them with the money line, but I would take the points as well. Yeah, I like them. I like them all. I like all the the best bets for the most part. I know we had some disagreements, but we are going to keep track of those as we do this podcast. Probably, you know, uh, slice this up, put it on TikTok, put it on Twitter. Um, and we're going to keep track of the standing, win percentage, all that kind of stuff. So stay tuned for all of that. Um, I think that's all we had on this episode of the podcast. Glad to have Mason back in, you know, the groove of things. Um, and do you have any parting words before I kind of close out the podcast? Yeah, just to our listeners, uh, I want to get your opinion. I want to get your opinion on what you want us to cover a little bit more, stuff like that. We didn't really implement much baseball today besides that one best that one bet but i i would like to cover a little bit more if that's what y'all want to hear we can recap the division series next week just let us know what you think yeah everything mason said right there kind of hit it right on the nail um let us know we're, we're willing to cover everything i think we are going to cover everything at, you know down the road but just wanted to get back in the swing of things But yeah, that's episode 28. Glad to have Mason back on and we will see y'all next week.